Last week we began talking about this whole thing of the walls that we encounter in life, the limits that we have there. And uh, we began to talk about this whole thing of how do we deal with those. In this series called Oasis, it doesn't seem like this is a very, you know, you know uh, warm, fuzzy. Oasis sounds like a wonderful place to go, but the reality is that so often in life, it's as we go through the ups and downs of life, God takes us to a place where we have peace in the midst of a storm. Today we want to talk about one of those walls that we began to talk about last week. I want to expand upon it a little bit, and that's the area of grief and loss. A place that all of us are at, as, as I shared in this little intro video, um, all of us come to a place in life where we all will come to the end where we lose everything. Now, this is not the greatest thought in the world, right? You know, Pastor, let's be a little more encouraging this morning. But the fact is, everybody here eventually will lose everything that they have now that they hold dear to them, except for one thing, is that's the relationship with God. And so, you know, our achievements, our plans, our loved ones, our very selves. You know, Job lost it all in one day, basically. Uh, it'll take us a little longer. But the fact is, as we go through those, through those losses in life, matter of fact, there's a huge amount of scripture that deals with this. It wasn't a problem today dealing with this scripturally because the problem was finding a scripture to deal with this because over two-thirds of the Psalms, if you look at them, are laments. Laments are, uh, are, are feelings or expressions of sorrow. There's actually a, a, a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations that deals with this whole thing of laments. Uh, most of the book of Job uh, deals with the struggle that we have uh, with grief. Matter of fact, we looked in the fall as we began to look at the Beatitudes. The second Beatitude says this in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Remember the word blessed means happy. Happy are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. We're going to look at that today. How can that happen? Because that is not the way in culture that we normally deal with grief and loss. We see it as a real downer. And I'm not saying it's something we we are, uh, look forward to or anything. But the Bible says that God works through this, this wall we come through, this, this area of grief and loss in, in powerful ways. As I began to look at that, I was talking about going to the book of Job itself and talking about it there. And that would be obvious. But I began to look at something else, the potential here of looking at how Jesus himself dealt with loss, how he deals with, with suffering and difficulty, difficult things in his life. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at just a few verses here that deal with how Jesus dealt with an impending loss, a, a deep time of suffering in his life. As he gets ready to go to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, we can learn some incredible lessons, some things that Jesus and God wants us to learn about how to deal with this whole thing called loss and grieving. Verse 36 begins, it says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he went, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not, men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked. Watch and pray so that we will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away for a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now this morning I want to share a few things that are important here. I want first want to comment upon this passage itself, and I want to talk about four lessons that we can learn uh, from what Jesus has to teach us about this whole area of grief and loss and how to deal with it in, in a real way. Uh, verse 37, if you notice, it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The Gospel of Mark uses a different word when it uses it tells this story. It uses the, a Greek word that means horror, horror came over him. Luke uses the word anguish to talk about the deep feelings that Jesus was going through. And in verse 38, he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And as he says that, it's, it's, it's literally as if this anguish, this, this sorrowful time that Jesus is going through is almost enough to kill him. In Hebrews 5, 8, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. See, the Bible tells us that even the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, was, was someone who was under, uh, understood suffering, who understood grief, he understood all these things. Back even when he was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 3, it says that Jesus was a man who was familiar with sorrows and suffering. And we ask ourselves, would that be the case? Why? Because so often we think that when we're, we accept Christ, that everything is just going to be wonderful and, and everything's just going to be perfect and, and, and suffering is not going to be in our life. And, and we, and then when we, when it comes into our life for some reason, we begin to ask ourselves, you know, what's the big deal? I thought things were going to be better. And then in verse 39, it says that Jesus is, he got so, such, in such a state that he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. I don't know about you, but if I was going to fall on my face to the ground and pray, it means I'm pretty much in a, lo- in a pretty deep place with his suffering. I'm in a place where I, I don't know what to do. In Luke twenty two forty four, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and was, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was pushed to the limit of his endurance. He was cut off. He felt cut off from the Father. This is Jesus now. And he was going through this emotional anguish. He had been betrayed. He was about to be betrayed in this this story we just read by Judas, one of the closest ones. And he he even tells them that that all of you guys are going to basically leave me. He had been their healer, their encourager, their supporter, their friend, and did everything perfectly right. Folks, this is good news because, you know, in our lives, even if we're a good friend, we won't do everything perfectly right, and we still can lose friendships and and have disconnects from people as well. Jesus did it right, and still they betrayed him. And then we read out that that the anguish was so much, and and the disappointment was so much, and this loss was so overwhelming, and in a real sense that Jesus, it says he kind of wanted out, he wanted to postpone it because... He says to God, he says, can I fulfill your plan by some other way? In verses 39, 42, and 44, he uses this little phrase. He says, if it is possible. if it is, Not just one time he says it, but three times he says the same thing. If it is possible. 
If it is possible, God, I know you have a plan for your life, but I don't really like this plan too much. And so it sounds like there's a lot of suffering involved. If it is possible, can you do something else? And as you read the story here, we would think of anybody who would be praying would get their 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 uh, what they asked for would be Jesus. Right. But Jesus doesn't get it. He doesn't. He gets he understands it, but he doesn't get what he asked for. He he doesn't get a postponement of the inevitable. God's will. And today what I want to talk about, the the thrust of this is this. I want us to talk about this. What can we learn from Jesus? What does Christ model and show us about a whole new way of being human? A way where we can grow through loss and suffering and grief. Because that's not the way we usually approach loss and grief. We don't go to it going, you know, what can I learn? I have the unique position this morning of probably having more experience than anybody in this room dealing with this subject. Not so much on a personal level, but from a professional level as a pastor. I shared with you that I always think over the years, you know, why does God put me in these positions? I don't know if you ever asked yourself that question, but over the years, I served at a church in Virginia for 13 years as senior pastor as an older congregation. And while I was there, I officiated over 270 funerals. It's a lot of funerals. Sometimes it would be, you know, and, and for some strange reason, people don't die on schedule. You know, it's like two and three, one week. And it was just like overwhelming sometimes. And, you know, I, God gave me kind of a reprieve when I came to, to, to Illinois because this congregation's much younger. I, I don't know how many funerals I've done, maybe 30 over the last uh, eight or nine years since I've been here. But the issue is, is that over the, over the life of my life, I've had a lot of, I've been acquainted with grief and suffering. I've had some in my own life. I, I, I helped do the funerals for, for three of my grandparents. I, I was there at a funeral for, my nephew, who was only a few months old, when he, when he, after he'd been born maybe a couple of months, they discovered he had a leukemia. And he didn't last very long. I've had that. I've not had it directly, you know, in my own immediate, you know, kids, wife. But I've had that. And I'm thinking the other day, I was sitting around thinking about this. And I, this is not morbid, by the way. I was thinking, you know, my parents are getting older. It won't be that many years that I may be doing their funerals as well. And I don't even know about, you know, life itself. But so I've had a lot of acquaintance with this thing. And I found over the years this one thing about grief is that we don't usually approach grief with the idea of like, okay, God, teach me something here. What do you want to teach me? But I believe that through grief and loss, God wants to teach us some incredible things. And I saw that here in this passage of Scripture. And so this morning, I want to give you four things that I believe that God teaches us. uh, Lessons, well, I call them lessons from losses that God wants to teach us. Uh, in regards to this, because these are lessons that I think we need to learn, because sometimes I don't think this is what we usually think about when we think about losses and grief. And so the first lesson is this. Christians get hurt, they get confused, they get discouraged, and sometimes they fall on their faces. Now, for some of you, that is a relief. You're going like, wow, I thought once I became a believer, I was supposed to have everything together. You know, I was supposed to have the answers. But see, losses are interruptions to our plans in life, are they not? And any of you plan losses? I mean, you go ahead and plan. Let's see so what loss I can do this week. What kind of what kind of devastating thing can happen? Is you don't plan it. They're interruptions to your life, are they not? 
And losses and grief comes in all kinds of ways. They come through deaths, I've already shared with, through divorces, through breakups, through illnesses, through crushing disappointments, through abuse, through dashed dreams, through relationships broken, never restored, through failures, through sometimes our children, sometimes our parents, uh, sometimes door and opportunities closed, sometimes painful memories of decisions we've made and people we've hurt. These are all losses that we have in life. And how do we usually deal with those in our culture? Do we publicize our losses? Do we have on our resumes, you know, this is how, you know, I mean, you know, I was, the other day I was watching a, a thing about people and jobs and, and, and how people approach it. You know that, I, I forgot the percentage, I think it was 40% of resumes have, have, are inflated. People want to make themselves look better than they really are. I'm not sure that's a low figure sometimes, but people want to make them. None of us would go on there and put on our resume. These are the things that I've messed up in life. or These are the losses that I've had that have shaped me in life because we don't think of them that way. We think of losses as something we want to hide. We kind of want to push down. And in our culture, we just don't talk about them too much. Even when it's a loss of a, a death of a loved one or something like that, we don't want to talk about it too much. We push it down for a long period of time. We stuff it. We try to numb the pain because we're not really sure how to deal with it in a real way. And for some reason, there's sometimes this shame or this guilt that there's this loss. And sometimes it has nothing to do with anything that you could do anything about. And I found it really strange in churches that when people lose somebody, when they go through a death of a loved one or they do something like that or something happens, you know what they often do? They often withdraw. From people, they withdraw from the church for a period of time, maybe never to come back again because they feel like I don't know what to do. I don't want to face people. I don't want to look at this loss. Because we have this idea of this, that good Christians don't get hurt, confused. They don't get discouraged. They don't fall on their faces, especially leaders. And because we have this idea that it's it's kind of almost an act of shame that something would happen in our life. And we just don't want to deal with it. But let me tell you, the good news is, even, even, and I didn't put good Christians, I just put Christians, you know, because there may be good and bad Christians, I don't know how you measure Christians, but good Christians, people that are in the center of God's will, get hurt, and they're confused, and they're discouraged, and sometimes they fall on their faces. They do. Look at Jesus. Here is the Son of God in this passage in Matthew 26. Here's the Son of God. He's getting ready to go through a traumatic period in his life. And what does he do? What does he do? He is in anguish, folks. He's overwhelmed with grief. I don't know if I want to use the word depressed. That's a pretty strong word. But that's a word that you he's close to that as well. But what does Jesus do about it? Does he stuff it? No. You remember when he goes out in this place in the garden, he goes out, does he go out by himself? No, he takes some other friends with him. And he asks them to pray with him during this time. And he says to them, he's open with them, and he says to them, the weight of this is so much that I could almost die. It almost sounds like an old country song. I'm so lonesome, I could almost die. I don't know if you remember that song or not. Some of you have been around enough and heard country music, but... uh Maybe the Midwest doesn't have country music that much, but uh, yeah. Some of you think that I, that's cool because I came from the South and that's all about that. Well, I kind of like a little bit of country, but not too much. 
But some of you got like a lot more than I do. You know what I'm talking about. I'm so lonesome I could almost die. But anyway, I cry, I think is what the word was. But the issue is, is that Jesus doesn't stuff it. He gets it out. He In verse 38, he gets it out. You know what's cool about this passage here? And I love this because I began to think about what it means. It's almost as if Jesus gives us permission to feel. He gives us permission to say, hey, you can still be in the center of God's will. And have feelings of discouragement. Feelings of anguish. And, you, and, and in the midst of that, you need to learn to grieve. And you need to learn to grieve biblically. Kind of like David did. Remember in the Old Testament when David, when David, uh, God was a man after God's own heart when his son was dying? What does he do? Does David stuff it? No, David's very demonstrative about what's going on. He, he, he goes through this period of intense grieving. But then when the son dies, he gets up and he, and he washes his clothes and he washes his face and he, and, and he kind of goes on with life. He kind of understands because he understands this thing. It's all right to deal with it. And the only way you'll ever get past where you are is to deal with it in a real way. See, God has revealed himself in history in the Bible in the person of Jesus. Yet there's some things that you and I will never understand. We, we only understand so much. We talked about this last week, that one of the things that we have to deal with in life is the fi- fact that so often life, uh, there is this hidden part of life, this mystery of life. If you want some great examples of people who've been through some intense suffering, some intense loss in their life, and they dealt with it, and they're people, I think, that are biblically sound that deal with it in a good way, let me give you three resources if you're going through any of these. I read all of these this week. The first was uh, the first was from a guy named Henry Nowen. You may have heard of him before. Uh, Henry Nowen wrote a little letter, a little, actually it was a letter of, it's called a letter of consolation. And a letter of consolation is a, is actually was an extended letter he wrote to his father after the death of Henry Nowen's mother and Henry Nowen's dad's wife. He wrote this letter. It's a great, it's a great tool to talk about how do you deal with it. And this was a, a letter that was written over a, over several month period of time to deal with how do you grieve in a biblical way? How do you deal with the losses and be honest about the feelings you have and about the unknown quantities that you have, the unanswered questions that sometimes you have in life? That's one one uh, resource. The second one's from a guy named John Claypool called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. John Claypool, I heard him speak years ago when I was in seminary. That's a long time ago. And John Claypool was uh, a just powerful, powerful speaker. And not long after that, what happened was is he lost an eight-year-old child to a dreadful disease. And he wrote this little book, this little track called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, showing how as he worked through this whole issue of, lo- of loss, about how to do it in a way that just... Uh, you know, he had a lot of unanswered questions, but deal with it in a biblical way. And then a person probably all of you have heard of, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a little track called A Grief Observed. And he wrote that when his wife died, after his wife died, dealing with some of the issues of life. Uh, and how do you deal with that? So the, all three of these guys, I call them biblical scholars, people that really understand Scripture, but all three who had just really strong losses in their life, people that were close to them, and they dealt with it, and they put it on paper, and they helped us today. None of them really wrote them originally to put them on, to put it, make them in book form. They were just letters to people encouraging them during this time, or personal letters, personal journals to themselves. 
But I would encourage you to understand this, that God, the Christian life often has unspoken messages. And sometimes we need to listen to the interruptions of griefs and losses. And, and, and if we do so, we, end up, we may end up on the ground like Jesus Christ with our face on the ground. And that's not meaning you're a bad Christian. It means you're a real person who's struggling. So the first thing we need to understand is that is we need to understand that, you know, if you're if you if you're a Christian, you'll go through some struggles in life. Jesus did. Does that free you up at all? Some of you have some misconceptions about that. You really do. I've, I've heard them. Why am I doing this? Well, it's all right. Jesus did it. OK, number two, the, the, the second thing we learn about losses is this losses break our self-will. Losses break our self-will. Besides the, the, the fact that Christians get hurt and confused and discouraged, losses also break our self-will. Um, in Hebrews 5, 8, it says this about Jesus. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. See, as we read this passage of Scripture, Jesus submitted to the will of God by conforming his human will to God's will. Sometimes we think because we, he was he was divine and, and human, we kind of like overshadowed the human part. But he struggled with this issue of doing God's will. The truth of this text is the Son of God in human condition lay on the ground overwhelmed because the un, before the unfathomable will and power of God. And what makes this text to me, this text uh, uh, in Matthew 26 so powerful is this. Is that Jesus, because he had this human will, he comes to this decisive moment in human history. And Christ willed the salvation of the world. He, he willed, he said, God, you know, I, I don't want to do this. He kept saying, you know, I don't, I, I, if there's anything you can do in, in another way, let, let this cup pass. But what happens is he decides to accept it. Christ's acceptance to drink the cup was a free act of his will as well. It wasn't forced upon him. See, Jesus was not automatically obedient. Some of us get this incredibly dumb idea, I really believe, that when it, it, when suffering comes, we become like this stoic, like robotic person and goes, well, God's will be done. And we're supposed to feel good about that automatically. Or we do these little pious things as Christians sometimes and we just kind of like, well, praise God, you know, we keep, we look like, you know, cheerleaders in a, in a lightning storm. You know, I've, I've gone to, you know, football games, I'm, every type. I don't know why they teach, I understand cheerleaders, I, I, I don't really understand them, but I understand you know, you're, you're supposed to make the crowd, but you know, it's sitting and it's raining cats and dogs, you know, or, or, or it's a snowstorm blowing sideways and they're still smiling. You know, like, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, I guess. But for some reason, Christians think we're supposed to be like cheerleaders. That when we go through the tragic, awful, terrible things of life, we just keep smiling. We don't have to, you know, and if you're a good Christian, you just do it. And really good Christians just do it all the time. No matter what the circumstances, but Jesus here, you know, he, Jesus was not automatically, he just didn't say, okay, God, yes, I'll do it. It shows him struggling with it here because he was real. He was human. A lot of people didn't like that. There was a group of not, place, people called Gnostics that didn't like it at all. And we don't even go there. But the issue is, is that 
The main thing that he came to here is that during the struggle, what we do is we struggle through it. And I shared this last week, when we come to these walls, these places in life where we, we hit the wall and to work our way through it, the, diff, the issue is my will versus God's will. And the Christian life is not just, you know, knowing all the right words. It's about struggling with life and coming out to the end where God's will becomes my will. And in this passage in, in Matthew 26, he He prays three times. Three times. But God doesn't. But God doesn't relent. And he said, no, this is what I need for you to do, my son. I like this phrase. I don't know where it came from. It says this. A struggled, learned, prayed for obedience is the true obedience that we have in life. A struggled, learned, prayed through obedience is real obedience. And sometimes the process that God takes us through can be severe. But he wants us to get us to the place where we, where we, our will and his will are the same. So the second thing that we learn is that losses break our self-will. A third thing that we learn is that losses bring us to a deeper place, a place of deeper love and letting go. relinquishing and letting go of a need to have all the answers in life. I, I don't know about you guys. I shared this last week and I'll share it again. I, I like control. And I think some of you laugh because you like it too. And you don't understand sometimes when God uh, doesn't do things the way you think he should do. And as a culture, we have accomplished a lot of things. We live in a culture where we're so overwhelmed with, with uh, looking at everything as a set of problems to be solved. We've invented new medicines. Uh, we, we've gone to the moon. We've developed computers and new technologies. I mean, I'm amazed. I mean, I got this really cool iPad, and I've discovered now that they're coming out with an iPad too, so, so I won't be cool anymore. <laughs> I mean, you wait, you click your fingers. And I like the new commercial with Ozzy Osbourne and uh, Justin Bieber. Is that his name? Um, that shows how much I know. Um, and, you know, they're talking about 4G and 5G and now 6 I don't know if there is such a thing as 6G. But there is, you know, it's talking about everything changes constantly. We, we solve new problems. We have new ways of doing things. And we perceive problems and we set about solving them. But that's, that's where we go wrong in life. We think that life is, about, is a problem to be solved. But its deepest level, life is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery. There is mystery to life. There's things that we will never know. And that's where faith in God comes in. And see, losses sometimes, because we don't have answers, let me explain something to you. In those 300 funerals that I've done for folks, I never go into them trying to give them all the answers. I'll say, this is how I deal with grief and loss. These are some biblical things and some tools you can do. But it's a process you go through, and you will come to the end of your journey, and you may never have all the answers about everything. But the issue is, as you go through the journey of loss... What happens is is that God begins to allow you to have peace in the midst of that. And you don't understand it. It's called the peace that passes all understanding. And through the mystery of that, we come to a place where we won't know, but it's all right. Because losses help us to learn to trust God. And to have a place of deeper love and of letting go. Of always having to have the answers to everything. The fourth and final thing that I think we learn from 
And this, I could have made a list a mile long with this, but I just chose four. The fourth thing that I learned from this and learned from this story of Jesus and learned from looking at all scripture about this is that losses empties our hearts of junk. And make us, and by doing that, it makes more room or more space for God to fill. I don't know about you, but as I grow older and as I experience more of life and I've gone through other losses and other walls and, and encountered things, I've discovered how little I really do know and how much junk there's in my life that sometimes shapes me in a way that I, if I'm honest with myself, I don't really don't like too much. And loss creates space for the love of God to come in because when we we don't have the answer for it, we try to fill up that void with something else. The only thing that we can fill it up with, if we're honest with ourselves, is is God. So we go through the pain, it enlarges our soul, and we're never the same. I love, I don't know how many of you are using this little booklet here. I threw it on the floor earlier because I didn't have any place to put it. But this little booklet called The Daily Office, some of you have purchased copies of it out front. There's still a few copies, I believe. We're going to talk about this more next week. But one of the disciplines that the early church had is carving out small amounts of time in our day to just be with God. And this this week, as I was reading through one of the days, there was a quote from a guy named Gerald Sitzer who wrote a book about grief and loss. And I love what he had to say here. He says this, Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past. It is not therefore true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less, grinding our soul down until there is nothing left. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over the loss of my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became a part of who I am. Sorrow took a permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. One learns the pain of others by suffering one's own pain, by turning inside oneself, by finding one's own soul. However painful, sorrow is good for the soul. The soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. Is that how you see loss? That God can take you through this, this loss of life and you can grow larger, you can grow better through the suffering? Or do you counter suffering along the way as an enemy to be pushed back at all costs, to be stuffed down? You see, God is wanting us to grow. And through the walls, through the difficulties of life, and particularly through the losses of life, He wants to help us to grow biblically. And it's all right, folks, to struggle with stuff. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It means you're a real person. Because the Son of God Himself struggled with with identifying or or, or doing perfectly God's will. It wasn't an automatic thing. He struggled with it. But as He struggled with it, He came to the point of saying, God, not your will, not my will, but yours. And that's where God wants to take us because only when we get there do we really love God and love people the way that God wants us to. And it's this process, this mystery, this this process of life that life is not just a problem to be solved, but it's a process that we go through 
of growing and more and more and more like Christ. And it's not always easy. You know, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll say it to my dying day. Is, is this, is that, you know, I learn the most through the difficulties of life. I learn very little through the good times. Jesus himself suffered. He questioned God. But as he went through the process, this loss, it allowed him to grow and become closer and closer to being in tune with God's will. Where are you along the way? Are you right now going through something in your life where you're suffering with something? Where you have a loss in your life and you don't have the answers for it? Maybe it's exactly where God wants you to be right now. He wants you to struggle with. He wants you to help you to get through there because he wants you to come out the other side. As Gerald Sitzer says, as a person whose soul has been enlarged. And maybe the only way that that can happen is to understand that loss can be a friend. Let's pray right now as we close our service this morning. Let's pray that God would just begin to work in our hearts and work in our losses to grow us up to become who he wants us to be. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.